Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this week's episode, we will be talking about crowdfunding. Is it an ingenious way for indie developers to circumvent the traditional methods of funding their passion projects? Or is it a clever ploy created by the lizard people that control our economy to trick you into feeling involved in the process? To help me get to the bottom of this is a man who's only $1 million short of his goal of being a millionaire, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'm doing real good, Steve. Let me tell you about an exciting opportunity that I have for you. It's not going to take much time, but I have this game I want to make, and uh, it's a 100% science-based uh, surfing MMO, and I have to do it uh, all the development from Hawaii. I'm going to take my wife out there, but uh, if you could really donate to my uh, Kickstarter and Patreon, that would be a big help. Uh, this sounds like a terrible scam, and also... Uh, a terrible reason to get us involved in uh, improv, which we we failed miserably at recently. But yeah, sure. I mean, we're, you know, we're, how do I, how do I throw my money at you without any uh, expectation? Well, the, fir- the first the first tier, uh, you get uh, producer credit, and uh, it starts at a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars for producing. That sounds producer that sounds credit. like a st- that sounds like a steal, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, Let's great. do this. Great. I'll send you the link after the podcast. <laughs> Oh, shit. The, our time in the groundlings is really paying off, Jared. <laughs> Was that it? I think, That's I think it. The, this, the, the key is yes and. Well, hold on. Hold That's on. It. Hold on. We have, I, we're, we're terrible at improv, but we have someone here that I'm sure can show us the ropes. Uh, it's it's a, a great guest, someone I'm very excited to have on. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian based out of L.A., television writer, host of several podcasts, including DLC, which is all about gaming. Uh, like I said, I'm a huge fan of him. Please welcome Christian Spicer. Christian, how you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And the ropes are located; they're right around the ring, unless they drop a cage around it, and then the ropes aren't going to help you at all. So you just have to bear in mind what type of what type of event this is. Is the cage going to fall? Is can we battle outside of the ropes? I mean, it, it gets tricky, but generally speaking, the ropes are right there, right around the edge of the mat. On this podcast, it is always a steel cage match between me and Jared. <laughs> the only way it should be. Well, thank you so much for being here, Christian, man. It, it means a lot to me because I'm, I'm a big fan of yours from way back in uh, Weekend Confirmed and, uh, and DLC and Department of Parenting. So it's, it's real cool that you're giving your time to be here with us. Yeah, thanks, man. It's my pleasure. Uh, Weekend Confirmed, rest in peace, right? Oof, what, a, what a show. On that show, it's funny, like... I know you weren't really like a regular on that show, but the the weeks where they were like, and Christian Spicer's on this episode, I was always like, ooh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I was hopefully, on about, he, like, hopefully he brings that stinky dick song back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was on about once a month, I felt like, is kind of what it ended up being like. And, uh, I'll, you know, I'll stand by that song. I had nothing to do with it, uh, except my two good <laughs> friends made it, and I had a venue or a, a, an avenue to get it out to a larger audience. I thought it was funny. You know, I mean, it was very crude, but it was like, hey, two good friends made this. It's well enough produced. It's not going to hurt people's ears. Um, I think I gave a spoiler warning on the show, whatever it was, like eight years ago now, saying, hey, this is crude. Um, but man, that that is the thing more people remember than anything else I did on that show, <laughs> is bringing that clip to the table. I thought it was funny, but then it was like the week after there seemed to be like some weirdness, so... May I and I, I apologize if I'm bringing it up and it's not something you're cool talking about. No, no, no. I, I don't. I, I thought I, it was I have, funny at the time. I have no problem with that at all. Two friends of mine did a like a Lonely Island esque, if people don't know anything about it, um, song parody about um, 
uh, called Stanky Dick, and uh, you know the idea, the very crude and sophomoric idea that if you hook up with a woman and then don't take a shower afterward, um, your penis will could smell. And uh, you know it it, it had <laughs> it had beat and it was well produced. It was produced by um, I forget if it was produced. The beat was provided by someone that has worked on countless hits that you have heard of. Who I can't say who it is because you know whatever. Um, <laughs> And uh, that that video game show had music breaks in it before, and so uh, I asked if I could bring that in. I played it for everybody, and you know beforehand, it was not their first time hearing it live on the show. And like, yeah, let's do it. But that segment was our was always um, tenuous on that show because it was kind of like at the, I, I loved the show because we talked about whatever, but like it also we did a tailgate where we would talk about football for a long time, and I think some of the audience wanted us to keep it just to video games, and then when. Uh, that song kind of came out, and people already kind of didn't like the the longer music break segment. Um, people would just kind of use that as an excuse to say, like, hey, you guys got to get rid of this. And I think that was kind of part of the reason why it – I think that might have been the last music break. So, you know, put that put that on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> now, and I, I – you know, I was first familiar with you from your video game commentary on that show, but you weren't always involved uh, in video games. You had sort of a precarious – start of a career in law? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I went to law school, practiced law for several years, um, and then was still doing it while I was doing comedy. It was kind of a weird transition out of that. And I'd always been a gamer, um, you know, d- d- born into it, right? <laughs> Playing on ColecoVision, old Ataris, and then just aging up with it as, as the new systems came out. And then um, kind of got in knowing um, the guys over at Cheap Ass Gamer a little bit through the CADcast podcast, and then Garnet from One Up Yours, and then David Ellis, and then when Garnet came out for um, We Can Confirmed and was you know close and not in San Francisco, and I was in Southern California also, it was just kind of like reaching out among friends in, in uh like, I think it was via Twitter the first few times when it was still young and it's like, hey, we started talking, right? And then it was like, well, you know, let's do this. And I was like, okay, cool. And, um, you know, it was, and I, I, I wrote for uh, a couple of sites freelance before then and, and I, I wrote kind of for Game Rant fairly regularly and then submitted a few other comedic and opinion pieces to various sites, floating it around just because I love the industry and I, I love the, the hobby and the pastime. So I was always interested in it, but I, yeah, I never, you know, I don't have a degree in journalism. <laughs> I have a gr- degree in political science and business management and then a, a law degree. So <laughs> take what I say with huge grains of salt, I guess, if it's about uh, video game industry specifics. <laughs> you sound way more qualified than we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are, though. Now, That's true. Now, what was the, you know, was there like a, a moment when you were, you know, learning law or practicing law that uh, you said, I don't know, some, some defining moment that you switched over to comedy? Like, if they make the movie about your life and Donald Glover is playing you, what's the, uh, like, what's that one moment that you make that switch over to doing comedy and video game commentary? I would love Donald Glover to play me in anything. Uh, what a, and I mean well, that sincerely, wouldn't? what a talent. That guy, um, he, he's amazing in everything he touches. Also, Donald, I love you, and I'm excited for, you know, to, to see Lando back on the big screen, but like... Oh, hell yeah. You know... I'd be okay with not seeing him and getting more Atlanta also. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have like a clear this moment kind of thing. I think looking back in retrospect, it's my family had a lot of artists in it. 
Um, and I was always pulled in that direction, but I was also very afraid of committing to it because I watched them struggle and I know the, the life that it is and it's often unguaranteed success or even paycheck or, you know, place to live next month kind of thing. So I thought law could satisfy that creative outlet where it's still kind of creative writing, creative arguing. And I think the law presented on TV very much is that. I was a litigator. And I think also litigation in the 70s, 80s, maybe even early 90s was that. Obviously, it was still a lot of writing and drafting and, you know, using forms and re replying appropriately and depending on the situation. But the law that I found myself in at very large um, law firm law was much more like bullion searching and Lexis Nexus and Westlaw and not as much. Um, it didn't satisfy any creative itch, and it was kind of the horror stories you hear about working at big law. If you've heard any of them, <laughs> were very true for my personal experience. Yeah. And then I had uh, a couple of family members get very sick, and one died, and it was just kind of this. Uh, I'm not getting any younger moment where mm. I think it was kind of all of those things coming together, coming to a head. And my wife was very supportive of like, well, if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. <laughs> it's not going to be any easier when you're 45 and we have a 12 year old or something like that, that needs braces. Right. So, uh, I kind of just took the jump and, and haven't looked back. Um, uh, I mean, my, my bank account looks back often, but <laughs> that's the only part so far. <laughs> now, do you find that in any ways you, you experience video games through comedy or comedy through video games? Like, do they inform one another? There's a joke. I rem so I saw you do stand up when you were uh, out here in Arizona in Scottsdale. And uh, you did a you did a joke uh, and you mentioned that like Donatello has extra pic uh, like extra pixels of reach in the Ninja Turtles game. And I was like, there's probably two people in this room that get that. And I loved it. You know, like I loved being one of those people. But do you, do you find that you play video games through that lens a lot, or do you, are you able to kind of shut it off and just uh, just enjoy games? I mean, video games definitely inform my comedy. I had a friend recently describe like my my quote unquote brand. I hate using that word, but he's like, "You're like a, a pop punk dad," and I was like, "Cool, I can, <laughs> I'm down with that," because uh, it's kind of. I, for me, my style of stand-up comedy, it's life experiences. So it's things that inform my day-to-day my -day and what I take in. And I love gaming. So as I'm playing games, um, I definitely l always have that comedic mind open of something like, is this a bit? Is this relatable? And I want it to be a genuine bit. Like, I don't want it to be... Um, like when Pokemon Go came out, I mean, you would go to any show around Los Angeles and you'd see four comics that night making some dumb Pokemon Go bit just because it was the hot thing of the day that they could say and it was broad enough that everyone in the audience would get it. And it was basically just like, I'm a nerd, or whatever. And people were like, yeah, Pokemon. Mm -hmm. It's very Jerry Seinfeld of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want it to be genuine because it's who I am and not just a throwaway reference to like, uh, oh, and I guess you could just call me a Dumbledore, or you know, I don't know, whatever, right? Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. I guess the analogy I use for people that that aren't comics that maybe relates to more people. It's like whatever that sport, that thing you did when you were little. So like, you know, if there's a scent of cut grass that makes you think of playing baseball when you were little, or um, you know, like you see a, a set of stairs and you want to go skate them because it's like you see that line and it's forever there. Like I think that's kind of how comedy is. Once you get into it, everything can potentially be a bit. And so that sometimes that's annoying and frustrating because you want to just hang out and not be like, oh, that's funny. But at the same time, it's 
it's why you're why I'm able to do what I do, right? So turning that off would probably mm. be a detriment at some point for my career. Well, I, I mean, I could probably pick your brain all night, but uh, let's move on to talking a little bit about our topic, which tonight is uh, what is it? Crowdfunding. That's right, crowdfunding. I guess if you want. <laughs> I've spent all week putting these show notes together, and then I almost forgot what we were here to discuss. So normally we start out talking a little bit about the history of uh, whatever our topic is. So uh, not a ton of history here, though, right? It's kind of a new thing in the in the grand scheme of it. It is, yeah, it is. It is fairly new, but it is pervasive in the video game industry, and I think affects all of us as gamers in some ways that we um, don't even really consider all the time. So uh, going back as far as I could find, one of the first games to be uh, crowdfunded was a game called Resonance, which concluded its campaign in November of 2009. And uh, the developer of that game, Vince 12, was originally asking for a meager $150 and raised just over 2000 Sounds pretty legit. So basically, Star Citizen. Same thing. Well, it's actually <laughs> quite a little ways till you get to Star Citizen. But I think it's, I think it's funny to kind of look back at that and see what humble beginnings crowdfunding for video games had. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine anyone then saw the effect that that was going to have on the entire industry. Yeah, and then it was, um, let's see, well, it was like up until 2012, video games were getting more and more crowdfunding through websites like Kickstarter. Um, and it was like around the 2012 mark, there were a few games. One of them was Code Hero that was kind of breaking that $100,000 mark. But then the the big fish of all big fish stepped into the game it was uh, Double Fine with Tim Schafer, uh, and they wanted to make a uh, sort of a throwback to the old uh, point-and-click adventure games. And Man Alive, uh, where most of the big projects on Kickstarter were asking, you know, for a couple thousand dollars, and at the most, barely breaking a hundred thousand dollars, they came in asking for four hundred thousand and got almost three and a half million, which just dwarfs anything that came before it. I think this was like the first time I noticed that. Um kind of uh, bigger names were getting involved in crowdfunding. I don't remember seeing a whole lot of uh, well-known people trying to get stuff off the ground this way. I mean, because Double Fine was was still a company, right? Yeah, well, they had had, uh, I think at that point, they had had the success of uh, Psychonauts, I believe. Sure, yeah. Now, Christian, did you play Broken Age at all? No, I mean, no, not enough to have spent any significant time with it. I, I dabbled in just to see, like, hey, did they deliver on the promise kind of thing? But it wasn't anything that I played to completion. But I think it's a fascinating story the way, um, you know, Tim was able to talk directly to his audience and I think largely deliver a game that, that they enjoyed. I think anytime you raise that much money, you know, you go that much above your quote-unquote goal, you're going to get people that are upset with the finished product. But I think for the most part, Broken Age is, is a good story of this versus the countless <laughs> not good stories, right? Well, yeah, I certainly think it's a good story. And this, okay, so since we're already kind of breaching this area, uh, I guess I'll bring this up now, which is, I, I feel like in the video game world, there's this sense that crowdfunding video games has like a negative connotation associated with it that... Um, that doesn't exist in like other uh, industries that have utilized crowdfunding. Like if you talk to someone who's into board games about crowdfunding, it's almost like an entirely positive experience. So I think it's weird that in video games, we kind of tend to do that. Like, 
it's good, but... I think part of the reason for that, though, could be that video games are so much harder to make than uh, a tabletop game or even a movie or a web series where uh, the, the movie... I mean, how many times have we heard about major publishers or major developers with funding from major publishers produce very expensive assets and trailers to be shown at a huge video game convention to then never have that game see the light of day because who knows what happened, right? Like I I don't know anything about game development. I know how to critique and criticize games after they come out, (laughs) but I don't know how to like actually make them except from what I've learned from talking to developers over the years. But I mean, even right now, um, you know, Prey is out on the current consoles. But whatever it was three, four years ago, Prey 2, which was a very different game, was shown with this really cool-looking trailer. Teams had spent tons of time, you know, getting that up to the, uh, be to be able to be shown, and who knows what else was around. Or if you watch Danny O'Dwyer's No Clip uh, documentary on Doom and and the reboot that that franchise went through to give us that was a great documentary right it's really well done and this is the company that has made doom for forever struggling and not getting games off the ground so i think it's just so complicated that it's there's going to be a lot of those failures even from big name people and i don't think that those people are genuinely trying to screw over their audience i think they just get in there and then realize you know for whatever reason like a lot of projects it goes south and i think as an as a, um, a consumer or a backer of a Kickstarter project or a crowdfunded project, a lot of times we don't go into it rationally and realize that games are hard and this might not happen because, you know, look at all these past examples of these big games that haven't happened with proper studio publisher funding. And we kind of just, you get excited for the thing, right? You're a fan, so you throw them $20 yeah. to get your t-shirt. And then when it goes sideways, you get really upset versus a tabletop game. If they know the system for the game, you, you'd hope that the game can come out. Not that making a great tabletop game is easy, um, and coming up with a clever system or a card mechanic or getting miniatures made or anything like that. I'm not trying to diminish the work that goes into that. But I think that if you can see that product displayed in a Kickstarter video, you could say, well, I'm at least going to get that, <laughs> right? Versus a video game, they might yeah. show a trailer for Mighty Number no. 9, but nothing else exists beyond that trailer. And also that trailer couldn't even be controlled by a human. It was just auto AI. So it's like, it's really tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I can't obviously speak for all developers, but um, aside from some of these bigger names, these bigger Kickstarters that raise millions and millions of dollars with a lot of name and talent behind them. um, There's some people who really have the passion and like the the technical know-how to know how to make the game that they wanted to make. But then all of a sudden, if they have a successful Kickstarter, they're looking at a million dollars and they're like, well, I've never even run a business before. So like, how do I manage this money? Yeah, it's a Silicon then, Valley thing. Sure. So yeah, like, I think I think that can get people into trouble, too. Where it's 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 hard for them to like all of a sudden now they're responsible for this entire operation. And then they, they have to end up focusing on that instead of actually making the game. They have to focus on community outreach. Like it's a it's a lot of. A lot of work if if they don't have an established team behind them already. Yeah, I thought it was. I just think it's interesting that in the video game world, we sort of have a, a little more of a soured opinion of crowdfunding than they do in in other industries. And, and maybe part of that is on you know us as the as the gamers or the or the people who are donating the money to it. 
I, part of it, I also think, is because just because of the way that that system is set up, it looks like you're shopping at a store when you're on Kickstarter, and you're you're kind of not. You know, it's designed to sort of trigger those those feelings of like shopping for something cool. Well, a lot of people like kind of had the assumption that they were investing in things. I've heard people like you know they expect something for their money, of course, but like they're they're not really. They're they're donating their money in hopes that this thing becomes a product. So it's not like you know. Now we have something called Fig, which is a little bit different, but that's the whole thing with Kickstarter. You may or may not see something back for your money, you know, they don't technically owe you anything. Yeah, I just think, you know, normally if you make a some sort of charitable donation, there's like, you know, there's a form involved and it's very, I don't know, it's not very much fun necessarily. And I think Kickstarter is designed to look fun. So you feel like, you know, ooh, I'm shopping for something. I'm buying a, I'm buying a product and it doesn't necessarily come across like donating for the people who are putting the money into it sometimes. I mean, I think, you know, it Kickstarter has been around for whatever, like eight years now, nine years now. And uh, I think people are starting to become wiser to it, but I think that might be part of people's frustration with things like crowdfunding for video games. Are you playing any games that have been crowdfunded successfully? Um, have you played any recently? No, not recently. Mostly just, you know, sort of a combination of my living situation and having a, a new kid has limited the amount of time that I've been able to spend playing a lot of games. I also don't really have my PC set up, which is where a lot of the, uh, I think the crowdfunded games tend to hit first. But how about how about you, Christian? Are you playing anything that was uh, sort of a successful crowdfunding endeavor? I'm sure I have. I don't know if I am because I feel like by the time it becomes successful, you forget that it was crowdfunded, if that makes sense. Um, I'm trying to think of... Yeah, yeah. totally. I had, to, I had to like go back and look up a list of crowdfunded games. So I was like, oh, uh, Pillars of Eternity was crowdfunded? I did not know that. Yeah. Did, you play, um, did you play Elite Dangerous? I've played some Elite Dangerous. I, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not dominating in Elite Dangerous in any sense of the any sense of the world. Was that crowdfunded originally? It, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, and did you play it in VR? No, I, I, uh, I, I um, no. Short answer, no. <laughs> I feel like we're sort of getting into this like weird like gray area now between crowdfunding and uh, early access games. Like, would you guys even distinguish those as like two different things? Because I mean, I guess. You know, early access game. There's something that you can play, and sometimes on Kickstarter they'll have they'll have something as a proof of concept. But I don't know. Like some of these early access games that I've been seeing on Steam, it just seems like they're trying to raise funds for I don't know something else or some game that doesn't quite exist yet. Yeah, I think those are different things. I understand the idea of you know the, the similarities to some extent for the end user, but they're 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 I think very different products and very different approaches to either get funding or to create an end product. Like I'm playing Player Unknown's Battlegrounds right now, which is an early access, and Ooh, I'm jealous. There's a game I'm playing right, and it's it's fun and it's you know it's janky. It's quote unquote early access, whatever. Um, but then there's also Shenmue Three which is crowdfunding, right? Like no one's playing that. It doesn't exist. Um, sure. So, so I think there's different approaches to it. I, I think maybe at the end of the day, those creators are trying to do maybe have similar ideas in terms of getting an audience engaged so that they could get money to make a bigger thing. You know, maybe in that basic, basic route, they're similar. But I think early access, there's got to be something. You're getting access to something and 
crowdfunding, the only thing you're getting access to is a dream, a hope and a wish and a desire that you'll finally play the thing one day. Sure. And that, but I feel like they both kind of suffer from similar problems in that everyone who, you know, invests in these or buys into early access, they they feel like they, they should have a direct voice to the developer. And if the game's not going the way that they think it should be, you know, those are the, like the loudest people on the internet. So... Sometimes I feel like that's a downside of, of the style of developing, right? Is that you have too many cooks in the kitchen and then maybe that original vision isn't isn't being followed like it might, might have if it was, you know, left to the developer. It can be. It certainly can be. But there are also people that um, don't, you know, say up front they're not going to do that. Like we're making this game and, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what you're buying. Um, it and so I think you're always beholden to a boss, you know, unless you're self-funding 100% you know, your own passion project, all funds are yours or your family's with no strings attached. And you know, no, you never have to repay a loan or anything like that. There's always going to be someone, whether sure. it's, you know, the, the, the bean counters at electronic arts or the people that crowdfunded your game. But the, I, oh God, I'm blanking on a specific example, but I, I know there are the examples of things like this is the game we're making. If you want to get behind us, we'd love for you to. And then ultimately, the only way that they'll be punished in that regard is if what they provide doesn't live up to what they said they were going to make. Uh, I think the idea, though, of like having too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of listening to your fans isn't limited to crowdfunding. I think it's just the democratization of the Internet and the way that you know we can reach people in a way that we couldn't before. And we expect them to reply, even if it's just – um, frontier airlines or something, right? Like we, we tweet at them and we expect them to at least say, Oh, I'm sorry, Christian, that you had a bad flight. Send me your reservation number and I'll look into it dash AD or something. And you're like, no. told them. <laughs> um, so there's, <laughs> you, you, well, that can also like go poorly, you know, in the other direction in the case of, uh, no man's sky where, you know, a lot of promises were made and then all of a sudden the game comes out and then it's radio silence and everyone's super confused. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's this, you know, careers can be built and destroyed off of audience engagement now. And it, again, it's the thing that wasn't available. I don't know when it was five years, 10 years, 15 years ago, just a very different thing, right? Like when for in comedy, you know, Jerry Seinfeld didn't make it because of Twitter. You know, he didn't get a TV show because he had a couple of hot tweets one night. You know, the guy was out doing stand up every night and had this amazing show and was a great actor and sold this vision and did this thing. And even when the show was on, it was never, hey, season four of Seinfeld premieres tonight. Be sure to watch at 8 p.m. on NBC as Jerry and the crew will be live tweeting. You know, it's just totally, mm-hmm. it's totally <laughs> different now. That's in contracts for things that you're doing, that you have to live tweet the show, that you have to be involved with this level of social and uh, social media engagement. And then uh, it's just a, it's a very different world where we want to have this perception of we're out there, we're accessible, we're cool, uh, we're just like you. And this is a universal we are and a universal you. It's this idea that, mm-hmm. you know, we can all hang out, we can all come to play. I've got a question for you guys. Have either of you actually uh, donated to any crowdfunding games? I don't think that I have, to be honest. Um, I've followed some Kickstarters pretty closely, but, you know, I'm always, I'm the guy who never pre-orders anything, you know? It's like, in this age, like, I'll just wait till it comes out and see how it goes. I've never really been that passionate about any one game to to back it before I, I really see anything about it. I, um, in video games, I kickstarted On a Roll, which is a rollerblading game. I am a former 
I still, I guess, former good or pro, which just means you don't, you know, I got free skates, uh, rollerblader. <laughs> um, so I, I still love the sport and I love the culture. And so when I saw this game and I watched the Kickstarter presentation of it, you know, when, when I, whatever I bought in at the $15 level, I, w- I got access to an alpha immediately. And they, you know, they showed trailer footage of what that alpha was. And so to me, that was money well spent, even if all I got in that moment was that alpha. And even if that alpha didn't work and it was broken and janky, I still would have felt satisfied spending that 15 bucks the same way when the Mega Millions lottery gets like over $500 million or whatever arbitrary number I give it. Um, I feel I get joy spending $5 on lottery tickets, right? Where you're just like, ooh, what would I do if I won? So like in that way, I've, I've donated to the games. I think on a roll is the only video game I've donated to, but you need, I needed to know that I was happy in that moment. And even if nothing else came out, I was satisfied. Cause I agree that's don't pre-order, right? Uh, but as a consumer, sure. but as a creator, as someone who just had, you know, my last stand-up album, uh, We're All Gonna Die, came out in February, and having people pre-order on iTunes helped where it would launch and iTunes ranking the day it came out, which then helps with discoverability, mm-hmm. which then helps expand my voice larger than just people who already know me, which then helps build a larger fan base to build this other thing, to build that. So it's like, as a consumer, yeah, don't pre-order. As a creator... Guys, go pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you say that, yeah, I mean, I come from a, a film and television background, and I, I do actually um, back a couple of uh, Patreons right now. You know, uh, Denny O'Dwyer's at work, I think, is amazing. And uh, Drew Scanlon recently just started his thing um, where he's traveling around the world and, and making short-form documentaries about I love about Drew, but that's just games, called Drew so. Goes on Vacation, right? Are we paying... Are we, I know, no, right? I was like, dude, this is... I'm, I'm busting his balls. <laughs> How, why didn't I have this idea? Right, right. Well, he does it so well, too. And that's <laughs> the thing, is that he had done it so well before with, you know, Giant Bomb or wherever. And then um, doing it on his own, now you, you can just see the creativity getting unlocked and the fun things he's going to be able to do. Drew's the best. So that's going to be great. Yeah, so, like, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, as, as someone who likes to create, you know, short films and, and, and work in TV, like... Yeah, I, I, I want to back that kind of work because that's the kind of work I want to see my peers making. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you, when you bring it up like that. <laughs> brings me out of that dark spot where I'm like, meh, Daisy. <laughs> well, the hard part about video games, though, is, I, again, I think it's this thing that, you know, you see Danny going on these trips and doing these documentaries. It's, thing, it's work that you've seen him do, and you know the work required to do that. And or, or Danny making you know his documentaries, it's things that he's done and he's done well, and you you have faith that he'll be able to do them in the future, and you're going to get some reward or some utilitary, uh, some some satisfaction is what I'm looking for out of that experience. But with video games, you know, how many times were we told that Fable was going to make us cry, or you know whatever whatever example you want to have, and it didn't happen, it didn't live up to the thing. I think at the end of the day, games are just hard. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a hard to it's compare true. them, their creation, to something else when just the, the team and the man hours and the reality that goes into it is just unlike anything else. I think it, like, ultimately it is a really positive thing. It's just that you hear so much about the, the bad experiences. Those, are, those come out and it really, you know, sometimes people who aren't in on this from the outside look at it and, and it, it kind of like paints it in a bad light. But yeah, I mean, there's there's been some great stuff to come out of it for sure. I think you know, I think part of the responsibility for that is on the 
creators themselves. There's a there's a stat that I read here. It's uh, from the dynamics of crowdfunding. It's a a study that was done by Ethan Mollick, and it in this study he says that 75% of crowdfunded projects deliver late, and that kind of makes sense for like the early time in Kickstarter and those kinds of things, especially in video games, that people wouldn't be able to sort of properly estimate the amount of time for these projects to be completed. But I think we're getting to a point now where some of that responsibility for executing is is on the developers. So, I mean, we, we, we could like maybe make a whole podcast out of like what's going on with Star Citizen. But can we just talk about like what's going on with Star Citizen for a little bit? Like, I, I'm still really not sure what that game is uh, or, or where it's going, because weren't they supposed to like release like a few years ago? originally well i'm recording this i'm in my ship i'm recording this from star citizen right now are you guys not there oh okay so it's a it's a podcast recording suite now that makes mm-hmm. sense it's a pod, it, it's great it's great uh, podcast recording software you guys should check it out at starcitizen.podcast.eu.hulu and um it's 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 fantastic it works I well see it here it's, really it's only a 500 500 for that module no problem right yeah it's easy I have no clue what's going on with Star Citizen. Stuff has come out. Stuff has come out. The game itself has not come out. But I also think a l- I'm wondering if the majority of that audience is happy. I-, I think maybe yes. I think or the majority of people who've given. I think most of them are still satisfied getting the value of their dollar, even if the value of their dollar is just complaining, yeah, <laughs> or hoping and dreaming. Right? Yeah. It's it's the lottery. It's you bought a lotto ticket. I, I don't know if that people have that much regret with it. I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, the game looks beautiful every time they show it, but how many, you know, how many years in a row are they going to show it over and over again? Well, it just seems like they keep expanding too what it's going to be ultimately. It's like, yeah. you know, at first I thought it was like a space sim and then they added like the first person combat module and then there was like some racing thing that came out, I think, for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh there's I, I don't know, like is it a problem of too much funding? I, I really don't know what their 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 plan is. It's interesting with that game, right? Cuz they they made a bunch of money up front and then had this like feature creep where they kept adding to it and adding to it and then the scope of their project got so big that they went back and asked for more money and i think it's i think it's interesting if you imagine that you're like the first person to donate to star citizen and they're asking for i want to say they asked for $400,000 now i can't remember what their initial ask was for that game you know, but you're the first person to chip in 10 bucks and you think it's going to be a, oh, it'll be a little indie space flight title. And, uh, you know, it'll be out in two years. And, uh, you know, I'll be reliving those old days of Descent or uh, what was it, like Wing Commander? Is that what the old games were? Yeah, I think I think someone involved in this was originally involved in Wing Commander. When you see it like explode, you know, and they're making $4 million and then they're asking for more money. I think it's kind of, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. And maybe if you were the first person to put in your $10 and you see it explode, you go, oh, hell yeah, this game's going to be incredible. I kind of feel like whatever happens with Star Citizen is kind of going to shape like what video game crowdfunding is going to be like in the future going forward. Like if this thing's a success story, then I feel like it's going to be a very different environment than if this thing just completely crashes and burns ultimately. You know, I, I don't know. Is that something we want? I mean, do we want the video game industry to be... Like, here, give us some money now, and then in 12 months, we'll ask you for a little more money, and the game's going to look cooler and cooler, and if we ever release it, it's going to be badass, or it might never come out. Is that is that what we what we want as the, the people playing the games? I, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I want every game to be successful. I just want good games, really. As, as someone who, like, I, I'm not involved in game development, but I, I just want to play good games. So I wish nothing but the best for Star Citizen, but I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. I was going to say, like, I haven't given any any money to the to the project. So, I, I mean, I'm excited to see where the game goes, but I also, I can kind of empathize with the frustrations of some of the people who have who, who did donate to that game yeah i think to the original question i don't think it's necessarily an either or proposition right it's this idea that crowdfunding is going to ruin gaming everything's going to become star citizen or you know what's going to happen to the thing that i love well, the thing that you love isn't going to go away it might become a smaller part of it or you might have to do a little more to seek it out but there will still be great games coming out that are crowdfunded. There will still be great small indie games that come out that you didn't hear about until two years later. You're like, oh, how did I miss a whatever game? And it's still there and it's awesome. Or, you know, there'll still be great AAA published games. It's all, all these things will continue to exist. I think it's whether or not you let um, one story dominate the headlines in terms of what these things are offering. And I'm not saying Kickstarter will be around for 10 years, but I think this idea of going directly to your audience will continue to exist in some form or fashion to, ha- to, to make a thing that pleases them. I think outside of the video game world, someone who does a great job of it and uses, you know, the accessibility well for his career is Kevin Smith, you know, where the guy made his way as in the traditional indie route within traditional Hollywood but has since kind of broken from that and, and makes the things he wants to make for the people who want to enjoy them. And who cares about what anyone else thinks? If your fans are happy and they're genuinely happy with what you're putting out and they're paying you enough that you are able to live the life you want to live, I mean, isn't that the ideal situation, right? Like, isn't that the dream? So I think all of that stuff will exist. And I don't think we need to worry about something like star citizen becoming the norm because, most people can't do what Star Citizen is doing, right? Yeah. You know, in the scope of all things that are being crowdfunded right now, I feel like the video game community is is kind of a, a tight-knit part of that. I mean, it's a huge thing. It's probably like one of the, the early examples of, of crowdfunding. But do you feel? Do you guys feel like there's going to be a saturation point where people just, they can't, they don't want to donate to this many projects. They, they, they're at their max for Patreon subscriptions. Like, do you think that there's like a point where there's just too many things trying to get crowdfunded at once, so like nothing gets crowdfunded completely? The anecdote that I've heard is every time a new platform comes out that allows undiscovered or you know the regular person to make something and find an audience, as soon as that is available, the first thing that happens is the traditional power players will fill that space and take that audience <laughs> and so well, look what's like, happened on youtube right now like there's right. there's so many people who made a living off of creating content on youtube but now all of a sudden they're demonetizing a lot of these people who are playing games for for a living uh because you know big advertisement the big dollars coming in from advertisement they don't they're not interested in in seeing their advertisement over you know, violent, violent Resident Evil 7 gameplay or something. Yeah. And you'll have, you know, every time you'll have people that will come up and make a living and become stars in that, that new way, you know, YouTube stars, Twitch stars, personalities, um, you know, whatever it might be. But then you also have big Hollywood throwing money at YouTube content creation. I mean, heck, Disney owns Maker Studios now, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have, uh, very big brands throwing a lot of money at Twitch channels and trying to create content there. MTV has a Snapchat channel, Ugh. right? Like all of this stuff, as soon as it exists, 
the traditional players, if they're smart, they're not going to not engage in that space because then they'll disappear. They'll be swallowed whole, but they will use all of their power to leverage to create the thing because now you have, this is the, the huge example of it, but like Viacom creating the Snapchat thing that they advertise on their TV show that's advertised on their billboard that also ties into their you know AM radio show that also ties into the video game that they're producing that is everywhere. And I think that's the bigger threat to this idea of the saturation of crowdfunding. It's that, yeah, anyone can make a video game. We can sit down tonight and, and make a video game in some form or fashion or make a Kickstarter for a video game and have all great intents of creating this awesome game that we think is unique to the market. But if we don't have a way to get people to notice it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how great it is. And so while I love seeing Double Fine make great games because I love the games they make, um, you know, Tim's able to he, – he has an audience because of the traditional games or the games he's made under the traditional system versus some unknown girl working in her – uh, you know, the basement of her college that creates the thing and has this awesome Kickstarter, like how viable of a way for creation is that for her? I think it's a much harder one because without finding funding to create a PR campaign to advertise the Kickstarter or, you know, getting a celebrity or someone bigger in the space to vouch for it or, or spread it, how are we ever going to find out about Cindy's game that changes the world? I don't think yeah. we will, and that's the biggest threat. Yeah, I agree 100%. And you you brought this up. You brought up Tim Schafer again. You know, How do you feel about him going back to crowdfunding to make Psychonauts 2? At least from what I understand about that story is he, he was interested in making Psychonauts 2 but couldn't come up with funding the traditional way but then went back to crowdfunding as a way to you know, in part secure funding, but also in part show interest in that, in that property. Is that something that's, that you see as a good thing? Is that a bad thing is, you know, should, should big developers like that be able to double dip or like, where do you land on that? Is it, was that through fig or was that through Kickstarter? That was through. So Psychonauts two is through fig. And I think people were offered, like there were multiple options. Like you could take the traditional, like donate money and get some sort of reward you know, whatever it is, like early access to the game, or you could donate or uh, invest in it. And I put quotation marks around the word invest, but I think there were like multiple ways to give money to that project through FIG. Yeah, I don't have a problem with, you know, quote unquote, big names going directly to the audience to make something. Um, I, I hope that there's honesty in what they are representing and what they're putting out to people. Like that's where I would be upset is if there's some form of of intentional or otherwise deceit happening where, you know, we need thirty thousand dollars to make this thing, and then they collect that thirty thousand dollars, the funding closes, they get that money, but what they really needed, you know, and that and they're gonna spend that thirty not making the game, they're gonna spend that thirty you know, traveling for meetings to put on a presentation to show that there's interest in this. And they, if they could get 2 million of real money, you know what I mean? Like it's that, yeah. I don't want to believe the conspiracy theory, but it's like, you're not going to make Shenmue three for whatever the heck they were asking for, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> or like absolutely. even broken age, like you're not going to make broken age for $400,000, but it's this idea of, um, well, they, if anyone can, they can, or I just want honesty in the pitch. And then I don't care 
who makes it because again i think people should be free to spend their money how they want to and and as long as they're getting some reward or some feeling of satisfaction from it and they're not being manipulated and and, or addicted to it in the way that gambling can ruin lives but if it's an honest transaction of hey i'm presenting you with this thing or this idea this hope of this thing and you are okay giving me five dollars for it you know, I think you or I should be able to do it the same way Tim Schaefer or Kevin Smith or Mark Hamill or, you know, it doesn't matter, Brad Pitt. Like, just because they have a huge audience, I, we, we shouldn't hold hold that against them and say that they shouldn't be able to speak directly to that audience, right? Yeah, I just, I, I think that there's like this blurry line um, where, you know, I, I agree with the point you just made and the, the point that you made immediately before that where we we're talking about, you know, should the big dogs be able to come in to these in these environments where that were originally designed for, you know, the little fish to thrive. I I just, I think it's interesting. Like, you know, where do you, where do you draw that line? Where do you say like, okay, it's okay for Brad Pitt to come in here and pitch his movie as long as, you know, it's a passion project, but he better not come in here shilling for, you know, his, the movie studio, you know, does that make sense? I mean, here's the thing. Like people are always going to like spend money on dumb shit. So like if, if they really want to, they can, you know, I want people to have the freedom to put their money wherever they they really want to. I think that there's an argument to be made that you're by these big bigger companies going to crowdfunding, they're they're putting all the risk on the consumer for this thing to be successful. You know, especially in in cases. I, I mean, Fig is such a weird thing. I, I really don't understand it. But my my under, my limited understanding is that you get some money back as long as you are at a certain tier. Um, so I mean, they have I just a think way it's... for you to be an actual investor, which required like, right. SEC approval and a certain significant change of like more than just five dollars. But they have a way for you to actually invest. But yeah, then that also means you're not going to see money back if the game's made. It's you depends on what that you know. It's like a return, like anything else. The game needs to make money. It needs to pay out all these other people first that gave this much money, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the day, you'll get two pennies or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, so I feel like if people are, are backing things, as long as they have the understanding that, like, listen, this thing may not be successful. So, like, you, you, as long as it's very clear to them going into it, and I think that you know, Kickstarter has been better about making that distinction. Um, that there's not as much of a problem there, but also I don't really agree on putting all that risk in, into the consumer's hands when uh, there is still traditional ways for these bigger companies to to go about it. Do you guys hear about uh, the latest Hitman? The whole what's going on with Hitman and and Square Enix and, and IO? No, I I didn't hear. Enlighten me. Square uh, announced yesterday or the day before earlier this week that they were uh, divesting, basically like writing off forty three million dollars, and and there will no longer be supporting Hitman, which is which is interesting. I mean, I wonder if IO Interactive now is going to go and maybe try to get some crowdfunding and and make their own thing separate from square i wonder if that's an option for them uh or if that would be the right way for them to go about you know continuing to make the products that they're making i i just don't know because i don't know i mean that's a studio how many people is that how many um uh 401ks how many uh health insurance policies you know how much payroll how much overhead it's not that that's the hard part about that right it's not it's not five people making a game or even double fine, or I don't know how big IO is, but it's, it, it's hard to know. You can see a number and think, Oh man, they got $4 million to make a game. Oh, they're going to 
they're so rich. <laughs> I mean, not really. Yeah. Not under a lot of, you know, where they have an office in San Francisco. Okay, they're still $20 million short, <laughs> like, or whatever it's going to be. Um, it, it's hard to know the business realities of those things. And while it's unfortunate that, I, you know, I hope all those people land on their feet. I hope that studio finds something else to do. Um, you know, the business realities for Square was like, this isn't worth it. And at the end of the day, that's, that was the decision they made. And I, I think that sucks. I think it's a harsh reality where to someone we are just a number. We're just a value add or, you know, we're one side of the ledger, right? We're either bringing something in or costing something out. And it sucks to think about people and art and, and everything in that way. But I don't know if they can necessarily, as a studio, go to Kickstarter and, and make a thing that that works. I think it's even interesting in the video game press space in terms of crowdfunding with the success of like Drew and Danny and um, outside of not video games now, but Colin um, are kind of funny in some of these spaces like could could IGN just set up a Patreon and and make its money that way and not have to run ads or you know Giant Bomb kind of had a, a member model before Patreon was a thing like if Patreon existed back then would they have just left GameSpot and put up a Patreon and that would have been Giant Bomb and would they be making more money doing it that way it's like when I get, when you get into like those actual business logistics nitty gritty thing side of things, um, I think it becomes a lot harder for people like us. Or I won't I won't include you guys. People like me to answer because you see a number of what kind of funny is making, and you're like, oh man, those guys are doing great. I mean, maybe, but th- that's a lot. You know, how big is that staff that they're supporting full time jobs and. Are they going to retire? Are they planning to retire after twenty years? And are they putting any money away into retirement? Like it's very different than working the quote unquote soul crushing corporate nine to five, where you hope you have something after you give them the best years of your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't think there's a good answer. It's just it's hard. Everything is hard. <laughs> it, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that like pretty much everyone is just making making it up as we go like who knows like what business is going to look like 10 years from now any of this stuff it's just it just seems to be changing so rapidly and all these business models who knows like what's going to be viable five years from now one of the things i realize as i'm growing up is how little money a million dollars actually is and then how <laughs> and then like how poor that thought makes me feel well especially if you're trying i think a million dollars is a lot of money if you're not trying to do anything with it but if you're trying to make something with it and live off of it and manage a, just even a website or, heaven forbid, some form of physical inventory that you're mailing out to people, yeah, it's, it, it goes by very quickly. We, still, we think of a millionaire and a million dollars as surplus. And a million dollars is a whole lot of money if you just have it and you don't need to touch yeah, it. If, it's in, if it sits <laughs> right? in a pile it's in your living extra room. extra money. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we all picture a million dollars as, not as a thing that is paying. I mean, how much is your internet? Like, I think my just internet's almost a hundred bucks. And then my cell phone is another hundred bucks. And then, you know, oh my God. And those are monthly expenses and then electricity and, and water and gas. And I have to have a car and I'm, I'm buying gas for that and I got to wear some clothes and I'm going to eat food and I want to eat somewhat healthy. Okay. And I, I got to have a place to sleep. Hopefully somewhere in there you know, you're saving the way, uh, making... for college for the little ones. Right. And I have a kid and, uh, you know, I don't want to have tons of credit card debt. And also I'm trying to make this, 
isometric, isometric third person, first person hybrid shooter that changes <laughs> the way you've ever played. A, like a million dollars is nothing. Yeah. Right. And be gone a blink of an eye. Oh, that depresses me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to end a podcast yeah. on, on a downer, right? No, the positive side of it is, and this is how it gets you. And I don't want to say I had the idea for Kickstarter before it was Kickstarter because I <laughs> didn't have any business sense. I didn't think of it, but I do distinctly remember having this conversation with my wife and a couple of other people before, way before Kickstarter was a thing where it's just, it's this idea of, I live in the city of Los Angeles. There are X number of millions of people here. If you can just get every, if you can just get half of them to give you a dollar, that's so much money, right? I mean, that's what Kickstarter is. There's a, there's a whole Reddit. It's like make a millionaire and they, they just try to get as many people into this subreddit as they can and everyone donates a dollar and then there's really no goal to it other than to see if, it, if this little social experiment works. But yeah, I've, I've, I've had that thought too. It's like, man, there's so many people that if they just gave a little bit to a cause that can make like such a big difference. Right. But then you start realizing that people are awful and this now it gets bad again. People are awful. And it's like, well, why should I give you a dollar? Why shouldn't you give me a dollar? And you have like some form of a prisoner's dilemma or something else stupid. And well, what do you, and then how much money do you need to spend to get that dollar? Am I spending a dollar 20 to get your dollar? Or am I spending only 20 cents to get your dollar? And then like, uh, the realities of it become frustrating. But in that pure moment where you're like, huh, I mean, what's a dollar? It's nothing. Why wouldn't everyone give me a dollar? <laughs> it's so easy. And also in there, what I heard is, uh, watch out, Kickstarter, Christian Spicer, the lawyer's coming for you. <laughs> no, for, no. For stealing his idea. Right. No, not at all. Well, ideas aren't, uh, you can't protect an idea, unfortunately. I should also say, I'm working on something that is in the very baby stages, and one way that this thing might go is reaching out to the audience to make it go. I, I, I hate being so dumb and mm. vague. Um, and I knew that when we start talking about this, I might need to say something cause like this comes out and then it's like next week I'm like, Hey guys, here's Ooh. my Kickstarter. Here's my fig project. Um, <laughs> Ooh, an exclusive, after I'm liking this, about, I'm like, liking the, this, the problems of it. I'm like, Oh, this is the worst system. Um, yeah, but I, sh- I don't worry. We only have like five listeners. Perfect. Can, can you kickstart a new Kickstarter? Is that a thing? Could you send me a dollar if you guys could, if the five of you could send me a dollar, <laughs> the only Kickstarter I created and it didn't get approved is back in god what year was it 2010 2012 i don't know one of the years when nbc was just totally bungling the summer olympics i put together a kickstarter for like 2.1 billion dollars to buy the olympic rights back from nbc and just give it to the (laughs) the bbc to broadcast (laughs) and kickstarter (laughs) rejected my pitch i thought it was a joke and i was like no 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 i am serious. serious i want to do this and i had a nice pitch video with like a celebrity cameo and everything i think so but they rejected it. <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah, right. Well, I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off, Christian. Were there any details about your project coming up that you wanted to share? Or are you just mentioning that you got one coming up? Just well, to I don't even know. That's the color thing. this conversation. Yeah, just to color the conversation. I don't even know if it will come up okay. is the thing. Um, it, there's, a, there's a good chance it might, and but I don't have a timeline. Uh, it's I don't Hollywood, baby. Um, uh, I feel dumb saying it. I felt dumb mentioning it, but I only wanted to mention it just in case it moved faster and then this came out and someone, some internet detective, you know, was like, well, Christian said that Kickstarter's dumb, yet today Christian <laughs> launches his own Kickstarter. I'm not going to, you know, Reddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Christian sucks a dick dot populate dot <laughs> Kickstarter. I don't, I don't need that. So it's just, just to color the conversation, it's something that 
you might see soon. And if it, I'm yeah, I feel dumb even mentioning it's too vague. But I have something I'm, I think no, is very like cool. Hopefully, coming out sooner than later. Let me put it that way. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll be looking for it. Let's try and kind of wrap this conversation up. I've got a question. Do you think that that crowdfunding for video games is a good thing or is it a bad thing? Like, can you can you put a value on it like that? Good thing, right? Short and sweet. Good thing. It has to yeah. be a good thing. A, a way for more a a a, a, a way for people to make things that I love. Good thing. Are there going to be bad things from it? Yes. But in its core, good thing. Are people going to ruin it and do horrible things with it? Yes. But the core idea of it, I think most people, if not all people would agree that it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. I mean, it has to be. I'm always for like just freedom of choice. So I mean, like I said, people are, they should be able to give money to the things that they want. And I, I think having an outlet to directly, you know, get to your audiences, it's, it's going to be a good thing in the end. Do you think there's any areas that uh, we could improve in the immediate future with, with crowdfunding projects like video games? Transparency and honesty. That's the biggest, but I don't think people will do that because that will hurt their chances of getting the money that they want to get, right? If they, hey, Shenmue thing is the thing we want to make, but in order to make it, we need to come out here on stage and show that you know, 4 million people are interested in it, but you can't just applaud to show your interest. You actually need to give us money. We need $4 million. You know, like that isn't a sell the way like we're making Shenmue 3 if you guys make it happen. But that's what I want to see is more honesty, more transparency, being frank with the people that you're, whose pocketbooks you're trying to reach into and quit trying to dupe them to pull off some long con to ultimately deliver this product. Just be truthful with your audience. And I think in the long run that, that will pay off for you. And uh, I guess I'll use this opportunity to remind people that if they have their own questions or comments about crowdfunding, they can uh, always send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Um, so yeah, if people want to send us questions or, uh, or comments about any of the topics we've discussed, send them there. All right, what do you got for me, Jared? Uh, we recently hey, our, had a recording um with an indie game developer and he's he is, his background is in 3d modeling and you know we, we kind of reached out to people about you know realistic the pursuit of realism in video games uh, in video game graphics specifically and i got a uh, question from mike in tucson he asks uh, do you guys think pixel style games are a fad or a return to the roots and fundamentals of games or to put it another way are graphics a fundamental aspect of gaming is the natural progression of video games to push the envelope of graphics until they're indistinguishable from reality. I think it's interesting that he brought up pixel art in video games because I think that that by itself is probably worthy of its own episode because I you know it's become such a prevalent art style in video games that I I think there's a lot to discuss there and what it means for nostalgia and what it means for modern game design and and all of those things. So I think we could uh, talk for quite a while on that. I mean, you know, I I don't think that I don't think graphics are a fundamental aspect of gaming. I think it's especially with indie studios now, like they 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 choose a style and, and an art direction to take to take their game in, and they build it around that. But I I do think that you know the the pursuit of making realistic graphics is is a fundamental of just you know showing what technology can be. Um, you have a lot of games that come out, and it, it seems like that's their main focus is. Uh, showing the technology that, that was built behind it and what, what, what 
you can imagine the future would hold for you know this this engine this graphics engine and then it, it gets iterated upon so um i don't think pixel style games are a fad at all i think it's just it's a, it's an art choice yeah i think art direction will goes a long way in terms of longevity of a game um or how it's looked upon uh, in hindsight whereas i think photorealism that pursuit is always unless we ever you know or when we achieve it is going to be you look back at it and just kind of think oh my god i, I can't believe we used to think this looked good you know if you look at mm-hmm. what gran turismo 2 or whatever like great game and someone might be like i can't believe yeah. a game that looked this good running on this primitive hardware but you're never going to look at that and go like yeah nailed it <laughs> um but i think what what pixel art it, it's a little bit of nostalgia, but also a little bit because it couldn't be photorealistic. We never thought Mario yeah. and Mario World looked like a real Italian plumber. You know, it, it is so stylized that it has this this really cool look to it, and it ages better than you know Resident Evil One or something like that, where they were going for this cool, real, gritty look, and now it just looks bad, you know, by comparison. And I think. I think I might have talked about this on on the video game show I do DLC where like I love Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, uh, personally, I I enjoyed that game more than Zelda Breath of the Wild. Slander. But I think you know even just aesthetically, graphically, I think five ten years from now we'll look back at it and people will think that Breath of the Wild holds up better graphically than Horizon Zero Dawn just because that realism will be outpaced so much but uh breath of the wild is such a stylized art direction game that the fact that it was never the pinnacle of graphics will never hold it back uh later yeah nintendo seems to crush it in that regard like they seem to just make games that for some reason are are timeless and not for some reason i mean for for the exact reasons that you were speaking about well and part of it too is that they're designing for hardware that's already old uh, is like the sarcastic mm-hmm. way to say it, but they so they to have a game that looks good now on old hardware, they're already designing within those limitations. So the hope is, you know, they're trying to build, they're building a craftsman today, right? <laughs> like in in using, but using the same tools that people used to build craftsmen back in the day. So they already know it's going to look good because it already had to look good, and they're not trying to push the envelope with something photorealistic. Yeah, it's it's really interesting approach. Steve, do you want to take this next email? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll jump on this one. Uh, This one comes to us from Ashley out in L.A., out your guy's way. She says, hi, guys. I had a very nostalgic moment when listening to episode two of the podcast. I bought an original NES when I was around seven years old. I did a lot of chores to be able to buy it myself, and it cost me $100. I knew next to nothing about video games at the time, and I was an only child, so I learned how to play most of them by myself. Favorite games are Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 3, I played them constantly, but without the help of a sibling or a friend, I would get stuck on certain levels for so long. So I started relying heavily on talking with friends at school or on the block about all the secrets to get more coins, find the secret passages, pass the levels, etc. Putting those, quote, rumors in the schoolyard to the test were sometimes the only way I was ever, the only way I ever passed a level. They were memorable times, but it was a tough life without the internet, let me tell you. Uh, when you guys were kids, did you prefer to play those types of video games like Mario Bros. by yourself or with a friend? Any funny or memorable video game moments between little Steve and little Jared? And I guess we'll include little Christian in this. Christian, what do you remember about being a kid and playing those old games? 
I mean, everything, everything and nothing, right? There's, um, I feel like we all had, or maybe it's just me, but like there's the friend on the block who could, who walks over and would say like, oh, you haven't, you haven't beat, uh, Ninja Gaiden yet. I could do it for you. And you're like, no, Brad, I don't want you to beat it for me. Well, I have, I've completed it. I'm like, oh, stop. That's not the point. Fucking Brad. Uh, or like, yeah, he's the worst. Or like the warp whistle. Like, did you know there's also a warp? And like, sometimes it was true and sometimes it wasn't. But I think for me personally, I love all of that stuff, but I also just think it's nostalgia. I think for in whatever way, kids today will have that same level of nostalgia for, do you remember when we were on NeoGAF sharing Minecraft tips or, you know, like, because mm-hmm. the idea of doing that, there will be some other way. Like, yeah, now it's just an ocular, imp- imp- you know, imprint of what, you know, Jared is doing over on Mars and I just replicated on my replicator. Ugh. I really miss typing out questions. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jared? What are your memories of uh, of that time when you were a kid? Um, when I was growing up, I I didn't have a, a, a Nintendo. I had a I had a brick Game Boy, and um, that was my first gaming system. You know, the, the original Game Boy. And uh, when I would go over to the neighbors, they had the original Nintendo and a Sega, and we, we got to play multiplayer. That wasn't really a thing for me. Um, because I was no, I was also an only child, so uh, when I got to play, you know, a game like Snake Rattle and Roll or uh, whatever, you know, whatever happened, two player Mario Two, um, that you know, that was my my first introduction to like a community gaming with with other people, and like that always, always kind of stuck with me. It was like that that shared experience of of being able to play a video game with another person in the room and you know i kind of miss that now with with online gaming you don't really get that and that's also part of growing up you know we, it's hard to make time to to sit down and friends with friends but um that that was like my earliest i think memory i guess of of gaming yeah now some of the people who listen to this podcast might not know but jared and i have known each other since the fifth grade uh and do you remember mr hayes jared i do so he that dude had a PS1, uh, which I also had, and he loved Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil. So that's kind of like one of the memories uh, that this email makes me think of right away is uh, I used to just talk with my fifth grade teacher about Resident Evil, about his experiences. You know, he was he was kind of an old timer, so he wasn't necessarily as proficient at that game, even as I was, you know, being a little snot-nosed fifth grader at the time but uh that was fun that was also kind of a fun way to connect with a teacher over something that i mean i think it's become more prevalent now that adults are you know playing video games but at the time he was like the only dude i knew that 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 played games yeah it's kind of interesting when you have that realization as a kid like oh like adults are into some of the same things that i am like that was always a that was a cool moment and you kind of learn that hey these are people too they're not just uh parents and teachers All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Game Breaking Feature. But before we sign off, I just want to say thank you so much to Christian Spicer. Christian, thank you for being here, man. This is... This has been a treat for me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been me. great, man. It was, it was really nice to meet you. Yeah, you guys can just send me your dollars now, and I'm $2 closer mm-hmm. to my million. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> just go on enough podcasts, and eventually <laughs> you'll get there. Yeah, I have a speaking fee. It's a dollar. It's just a dollar. <laughs> One million podcasts, and uh, you'll be a millionaire. I actually kind of... Now, uh, can we cut this? No, just kidding. Uh, uh, I like that idea. Uh, my goal is to now guest on a million podcasts. I, I like who, it. There's I no like shortage it. of them. Who's guested on the most podcast? 
Uh, mm. That's a good question, right? And I mean, like, I mean, like, I know, I know, Will Smith makes his his rounds. Yeah, I bet it. Uh, yeah, he's great too. He's always so good. He was actually just on uh, This Is Rad, which was uh, is Kyle Clark's podcast. Yeah, I was on This Is Rad. Take that, Will Smith, you jerk. I was there before (laughs) you, probably. Um, Yeah, anyway, sorry. (laughs) No, it's all right. Before we get out of here, was there anything that, um, you know, where where can uh, our listeners keep up with you? How can they follow you? Where can they get more of your content? Sure. Um, Twitter's the easiest way to reach out. It's at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. You can always email me, christian.spicer at gmail.com. There's several different emails for me floating around. I give that one specifically just because if you put something in the subject line, uh, uh, like game-breaking feature feedback, it'll jump out at me. They'll all get to me. If you see an email for me somewhere online, it'll get to me eventually. But if you use that one, I will try to take the time to reply to it because we all get way too many emails. But that, you know. Do that. Put something in the subject line so it jumps out. I will always do my best to get back when I can. Um, host of too many other podcasts. I do for video game stuff. It's DLC with Jeff Kanata. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. New episodes come out on Mondays. We do them live on my Twitch, which is just twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. But we don't keep them archived there. It's just in case people want to chat or whatever. And then I have a small, speaking of crowdfunding, I have a small little Patreon-only show called At Least 20 More Minutes that basically was just inspired by DLC becoming such a long show. Uh, I found I still didn't get to talk about stuff I wanted to talk about <laughs> enough. So it's usually one thing uh, in geekdom that I kind of want to dive into deeper. It's just me. It's 20 minutes, uh, sometimes more, um, talking about one specific thing. I did one about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I did one about um, Logan, the film Logan, and why I didn't think it was as good as everybody else thought. While it's still a good film, I didn't think it was 10 out of 10. Um, they vary week from week, but that's patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. Uh, and then parenting. Department of- that sounds cool. I'm going to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. People seem to like it, but it's just like a little a little thing that I kind of I enjoy doing. Um, I like the idea of a solo show, too. It's, a, it's an interesting exercise. <laughs> Um, and then my parenting podcast is Department of Parenting. You can find links for all of that at departmentofparenting.com. Brian Brushwood was our guest this past week. We we do guests from time to time. I bet Brian's up there too on that that million dollar or million dollar million. He's the best, just the best. And then maybe in the future, the near future, you'll see something else cool coming out uh, from me. So Twitter would be the way to find that though. Yeah, that's about it. Oh, wait, I forgot. I'm an idiot. I have two stand-up albums out. Oh, actually, yeah. I was just about to. I was actually just about to recommend people check out uh, "We're All Gonna Die." In preparation for having you on, I was uh, re-listening to that album, and it is funny, sir. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, uh, that's the new one. "We're All Gonna Die." It's iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and then uh, two years ago, I think 2015, I put out my first one, which is "Moment in Time," and um, they're they're different tonally. Uh, but I'm very proud of both. I think we're all going to die. Um, I might push a few more buttons, and if you don't like it, that's fine. I get it. But I had some stuff I needed to say, and I think I said it in a in a funny way. People seem to like it. It uh, it did well, so uh, you can check them out. I mean, it made me aware of my own mortality, which I I'm sorry. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the mixed bag of all mixed bags, right there. It is worse than trail mix <laughs> with no M and M's. Oh God, do they make that? Yeah, they do. It's called sadness. Oh. <laughs> Don't don't even kid about that. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely. I mean, if if you can hear my voice, 
uh, check out one or all of those things that Christian's involved in. Quite good. Quite good. Uh, as a reminder, this podcast releases new episodes every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to us uh, so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do, want to help us out, head over to iTunes, give us a review. Uh, I want to thank Kyle Clark, like I always do, uh, for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes, and uh, apparently you can hear Christian there. Lastly, I also want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. Yeah.